sure as God made green apples, someday the Chicago Cubs are going to be in the World Series. And maybe sooner than we think. Here's the old line. This is going to be a tough play. Cubs fans, I'm Sean Sears, and welcome to another episode of Locked On Cubs, part of the Locked On Network, your team every day. The Cubs made a minor trade move with the A's acquiring starter Jarrell Cotton, plus what Merrifield's name once again is returning to Cubs trade rumors. We'll hit on that in the first segment. And then in the second segment of Locked On Cubs, we'll hit on a couple quick news bullets, um, some rumors about maybe some relievers the Cubs are targeting, and then some random little tidbits about uh, Charles Schwab acquiring TD Ameritrade, which is important to the Ricketts. We'll explain that more in the second segment of your Locked On Cubs. Today's episode is in partnership with CubsInsider.com. Cubs Insider, of course, covering all the latest and greatest Cubs news and storylines. You can find our podcast as well as the Cubs related podcast, the Ron Santo pod or Sound Sun Ronto podcast. Um, a bunch of other over the basket, um, tons of tons of podcasts on there. Of course, just the great Cubs Insider content as well, all over this most recent uh, this weekend. Surprisingly busy. The Cubs a couple weekends, weirdly surprising, uh, with some news popping up here and there. So, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Cubs. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean R Sears. Make sure you follow our, our sister stations, Lockdown Bulls, Lockdown Bears, the White Sox, Blackhawks. Um, all found, all covered, all recently updated with episodes. Great stuff. And then make sure you're, you're subscribed to Locked on Cubs, whether that's on the Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, TuneIn app, whichever app you're using, make sure you subscribe and leave a five-star review. So, Here in the first segment, though, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Cubs acquire starter Drell Cotton for uh, cash consideration. So the Cubs have acquired him. Um, he's not necessarily someone that's going to, I think, I mean, he's he's a reclamation project through and through. He's a guy with high value and high ceiling, but uh, floor is pretty hard to gauge. And realistically, it's tough to see one of these guys pan out. You know, we do get kind of Brett Taylor kind of talked a little bit about this today, which was a, a great way of summarizing it. You know, we all see two of the factors in terms of like a reclamation project, whereas, you know, these guys have shown success and are just, you know, X, Y, and Z away from really doing it. But the reality of the situation is despite the the low risk that is involved in hitting on some of these guys, these guys actually truly working out is pretty low. So with that being said, he's 27. He's a former Dodgers top prospect. He's been in the A's organization for a little bit and was a top prospect there as well. He has a really good cur- changeup. Brendan Miller talked a little bit about this on Cubs Insider this past week. Um, the changeup's incredible, but uh, after he went Tommy John surgery, it felt like his stuff and his command just wasn't quite where it used to be. And despite his changeup being really good, paired with a very good fastball as well, um, the changeup wasn't striking out as many guys. He doesn't really mow a ton of guys down. Um, 
career numbers, at least in the minor leagues, seven seasons, he's got a 385 ERA in 122 games, 71 of those being starts, just under 500 innings thrown in the minors. He's got a 10.2 K per nine and a walk per nine of 2.6. But when he jumped to the major leagues, just 29 starts, an ERA of 495, not necessarily great, 32 home runs compared to 57 walks. 128 strikeouts, encouraging. Still only a 7.3 K per nine. That walk rate jumping up to 3.2 home runs per nine, 1.8. Obviously, his location was was hurting him a little bit. And when his when he was forced to throw a lot of fastballs, being down to the count, he came became a little pre- predictable. That changeup is really, really good, but he wasn't throwing it for strikes on a consistent basis too. So um, if you haven't seen Jarrell Cotton pitch, head up onto YouTube. You'll see what I'm talking about, this changeup. It just absolutely falls off the table. Uh, it's really, really good. And if you want to see a little bit more information, check out Brendan Miller's article on Cubs Insider. Um, but a good pickup. I mean, nothing more than depth, probably. He could be a fifth starter. He's got a high ceiling, like I said. I mean, this guy could turn into something special. At 27 years old, it's probably unlikely, especially coming back from Tommy John surgery. The Cubs add another guy dealing with this. So it's not necessarily the move you're excited about, but it, it is. it was a move that I was interested in. I like Jarrell Cotton. I think he's an interesting player and a guy that I actually liked watching in Oakland and thought if he could come up the season could really make that team dynamic. They had a lot of good pitching, but you know, it is what it is. Ultimately, a depth move. We'll have to see. The Cubs haven't necessarily come out and said much about it. Um, Bleacher Nation did pull a quote from an athletic article from spring training this year talking about Jarrell Cotton. Uh, and the quote, it says, with Jarrell, you look at the ability, you look at the arm strength and the ability to shape a pitch, and that's sure that's sure a thing, said Giants bullpen coach. Matt Herges, Cotton's pitching coach for the Dodgers in the minor leagues last year. With Jarrell, it's mainly maturing mentally, maturing with his mindset. He's got the raw stuff to be a superstar. He really does. He's one of those people that needs people around him to believe in him. If he has that, he thrives in those environments. He's a guy that can easily that that can doubt easily. He can let doubt creep in, so you need to pour into him. So basically, you need to build up his mindset. He need to be reassuring. Hopefully that clubhouse in Chicago is something like that. Two years ago, I would have said without doubt, you know, the, these guys have each other's back since we've seen kind of what's been going on outside the clubhouse, maybe inside the clubhouse at times. I don't know how I feel about that, but overall cotton has a guy that has potential to be something more than what he's shown. Um, and obviously the pedigree coming into this, it's easy to get excited about him. I, I think, you know, when you, when you temper expectations as him, maybe being a depth starter or whatever, it's a good pickup. So, um, I'm interested to see more about that. Uh, Whit Merrifield trade rumors. It's really starting to feel like Brian Roberts with this thing, man. Um, Mark Gonzalez earlier this year, as, as we talked about on this podcast before, did mention that he was saying that Whit Merrifield was a priority um, in the sense that the Cubs were truly going to be looking at ways to try and acquire him specifically. Um, that seemed less and less likely. A lot of people seem to think the asking price for Whit Merrifield isn't quite correlating with what you're getting out of a somewhat declining 31-year-old second baseman whose best skills are speed and, and getting on base with just his hit tool. Um, two things that are likely going to start to decrease as he goes further and further away from 30. Um, the other thing, too, as well as uh, to consider right now is that the Royals did just sell their ownership Uh they were sold and bought by John Sherman as of like three days ago. So 
with ownership groups, it's tough to kind of get an idea initially what direction they're going to go because they're they're trying to kind of play the line at moments, especially when they might be not be a group that's super well known in the area. Um, I don't know much about John Sherman other than he bought the Royals, um, <laughs> but it's likely going to go in two different directions. The Royals are either going to look at this roster and decide, hey, you know what, maybe we can rebuild and retool and throw some money into this and be good. Um or maybe we truly just need to sell off assets and, and, and go full-fledged rebuild. Um, with what you're looking at the roster for the Royals, it's tough to say. They've got good pieces. You add a couple really good starters to this this team, and all of a sudden, you know, you think they could be good. Um, so it's tough to figure out and gauge what the asking price is. But if the Cubs are truly going after Merrifield, and we keep hearing his name, and they, they really think there's a fit here, they must think one of two things. They must be very confident in Merrifield not having any type of serious regression in the first couple of years of that contract. Um, on top of it, they must think that the asking price from the Royals must be coming down or is at least more reasonable for them to consider moving pieces. The names I keep seeing floated in those deals is Nico Horner, Ian Happ, and Kyle Schwarber to an extent. Um, I don't know if Schwarber makes as much sense as guys like Happ does. Nico Horner probably has to be that piece to make that deal work. Um, but... Maybe it's Horner in a lesser part as opposed to Ian Happ. Maybe it's just Ian Happ in another part. Who knows? Um, but it, there has to be some type of... The, the the Royals must be more open to trading him than they're making it known. Um, which makes sense. If they keep bringing that high expectation, people will come into the negotiations aiming higher. You know, it's a good tactic. But obviously the Cubs sticking around and whatnot. They either must be infatuated with Merrifield or they must think there really is some some wiggle room there for the asking price. So we'll have to see what turns out. I'm not quite so sure that's the case, but, and I, I don't know if I want to add Whit Merrifield, but um, if the Cubs were to add him and Shogo Akiyama, as Brett Taylor pointed out in an article earlier this earlier this week for Bleacher Nation, it completely changes the, 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 I guess the, just how this entire lineup is constructed. You've got two really great high on base, high contact hitters to plug and play in between Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant. That's exciting. Maybe you want to put those guys at the bottom of the lineup. You know, all of a sudden this lineup has moving parts that don't all do similar things, which is nice. So diversifying is a great thing. Let's hope the Cubs <laughs> consider it, but we'll have to see what happens. Merrifield's price tag is rumored to be high for the Royals with a team that not a ton of tradable assets that make sense to move at the moment. Um, I, I would assume they're going to try and get the most out of their best asset. But that will do it here for the first segment. I'm going to take a quick break. We'll jump on to the second segment in just a moment. All right, no ad this week, which is, I'm sure, nice for you guys. Not so nice for me, but good for you guys, I'm sure. But here in the second segment, we're talking a little about uh, Korean left-handed pitcher, and do not kill me if I get this name wrong. I'm pretty sure it is Kwang Young Kim. It's K-W-A-N-G hyphen H-Y-U-N Kim. Uh, left-handed pitcher from Korea. Um, he's an interesting guy. He's a guy that uh, it looks like uh, Sung Min Kim, who if you follow on Twitter, tells you a ton about the Korean leagues or whatnot. I've chatted with him a bunch on Twitter. He's a really nice guy. Um, he kind of talks about how seven scouts at one point were going to visit him back on August 14th, um, Cubs being one of those teams. Uh, but the game was rained out, unfortunately. But Kim kind of talks a little about the reliever, Kim. Uh, his fastball sits in the low 90s, can reach the mid-90s when needed, has a slider with a sharp break, and it's definitely a major league pitch. He utilizes a couple other secondary pitches like a curveball and a forkball. And showing a better control in his last, um, better control, I guess, last season with a 1.89 walks per nine innings, which is good. So for a left-handed pitcher, he's definitely looking like an upgrade over 
what some of the options the Cubs had. Definitely an upgrade over Derek Holland. He's not, you know, <laughs> it's not Brian Dunson coming in. It's not Justin Wilson. Kyle Ryan, obviously, I don't know if he's high leverage type of guy, but he's a good left-handed reliever. Getting someone like him who clearly can get out and move move pitches around and be more of like a lo- less of a loggy and more of a miss bats kind of strikeout guy is nice. The Cubs don't have a ton of those options, so getting someone like him could make sense. Um, he's projected to earn about $14 million over the next two years. Um, Fangraphs has him listed as their 41st free agent right now. Um, that's pretty decent. In an article I was looking over from uh, Evan Altman of Cubs Insider, there was someone that referred to him as a tilt-a-whirl slider. Um, so that slider is very vicious. It does sound like it has a pretty sharp snapping break. So interesting guy. But it did seem like other teams were interested. And at that asking price of like, basically an average of seven, seven and a half per year, maybe um, the other teams are going to be definitely interested. So it could push that asking price up. So it depends. Um, there are other left-handed relievers on the market that could help the Cubs maybe sneak in with Kim and get him a little bit cheaper. But that also does mean if they miss on Kim, there could be other options too. So uh, we'll have to see. But the Cubs obviously are looking everywhere they can to get an advantage. So the Cubs did announce their minor league coordinator and coaching positions. Um, I believe this Friday. Um, I didn't recognize a ton of the names, but one name that came out that drew a lot of attention was Rachel Folden. Um, she's now officially the, I think the hitting lab tech for the Cubs and now the fourth coach for the Mesa rookie affiliate club. Um, obviously the rookie team that the Sox or the Cubs have for fall league and things like that. Um, she is joining this team and she worked with Justin Stone, the Cubs new hitting coordinator. And I think she focuses specifically on biomechanics, um, science, technology, data to help basically was a huge part of Fulton's past fast pitch in 2012 or 2010, but she was also been a hitting consultant for elite baseball, which is where Justin Stone came from and has worked hard with Stone to focus on, you know, the correct body mechanics of hitting. Justin Stone recently broke down kind of like how important it was for a player to be specifically level in certain situations and healthily taking cuts after his son got a baseball card from Javier Baez. They're very much focused on what you can control with the body itself and less about, you know, like hitting placement, things like that. It's a very interesting way to go about it. And it's definitely next level and a a different type of um, direction the Cubs are trying to go right now. Uh, So I'm interested to see Rachel did play. She was, I think, graduated from Marshall, Played from 2008 to 2012 in uh, the Pro Fast Pitch League. Um, she comes from high-level baseball, but she also has a great understanding of it. They're hoping that she can help communicate some of that high, high-level data to, to everyone in a more broader way. Um, on top of it, she just sounds like a very cool person. So I, I'm excited about it. It seems like the Cubs were too. So um, <laughs> Dave Kaplan co-tweeted a tweet from, uh, I think it was the AP, talking about how Charles Schwab buys TD Ameritrade for... $26 billion <laughs> and implied that the Cubs might be able to add a little bit more to the baseball operations now. Probably not, but you know, a kid can dream. <laughs> um, there was more I wanted to talk about with the Astros cheating scandal. I did kind of tease it on our last podcast, so I'm sorry I didn't hit on it, but there was reports coming out that the Astros could possibly be wearing 
buzzing devices on their bodies to help them steal signs. Um, it's just a rumor, but it was, I guess, circulated enough that the MLB thought it should be investigated. So they're looking into this right now. So there's nothing proving that they did this, but there's enough talk that it does sound like things are coming. Um, Brett Taylor highlighted an article from a Jeff Passan or a, just a paragraph from the Jeff Passan article that kind of, I think, highlights the whole article for you uh in quote players who may have violated league rules have been told by mlb officials they can expect leniency in exchange for answering questions truthfully the members of the astros front office and coaching staff could face significant punishment upon the investigation's conclusion if they are if they're found to have cheated the source said the league has requested to search phones of certain members of the astros front office the source says so it sounds like the astros are going to get nailed here uh in terms of what's going to happen to other teams I, you know, it, it sounds more like baseball's focused on making sure this doesn't happen again. And they think by truly making an example of the Astros, it'll probably stop it right then and there. And that's probably more important than punishing people. It also helps not tarnish the MLB's, I guess, reputation as much as it's already kind of been put through the ringer in terms of cheating. Um, it's just weird. But uh, if you want to see a little bit more about the breakdown between the Astros and the significant jump their offense took when they did start allegedly cheating in late May, um, go follow Rob Arthur, um, writes for Baseball Prospectus, but he has kind of a big thread pointing out data that shows big spikes and essentially from late May on that does show that the Astros offense did just kind of catapult out of nowhere, taking dramatic jumps, leaps and bounds. Um, we'll have to see. So. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, the Astros are screwed. I don't know how otherwise, uh, other way to put it here. So, um, there were some more Chris Bryant and Wilson Contreras rumors kind of going around and floating around people throughout the idea of the Rangers possibly being interested in Bryant. That does make sense. They are interested in a catcher too. Wilson Contreras comes into play here as well. Um, Evan Grant though, of the morning Dallas or Dallas morning news kind of seems skeptical that Texas was going to be able to match the asking price of Chris Bryant, at least specifically. So that's what he's being asked on Twitter. Um, Kind of, someone was talking about taking uh, Nomar Mazzara and, you know, Delaney to Shields and then adding, like, three or four prospects for Brian with that work. And obviously, you know, as Cubs fans, we probably know, we think everyone loves our players that we don't want and, you know, so on and so forth. But obviously, it's not the deal. But even still, like, those are two pretty solid pieces. It's probably not going to get you Chris Bryant back. And it shouldn't. It shouldn't. But it just kind of shows you a team that absolutely could benefit from two years of Chris Bryant, even if he doesn't extend trading some of their pieces to make that team really good in the moment. It does kind of make sense for a team like the Rangers, maybe not as much sense as some other teams, but you can kind of see the groundwork there for a, a deal like that. But they just don't have the pieces, the flip for Chris Bryant, for the Cubs, for it to make sense for the Cubs to flip him um, and still be considered successful for the next two years that you have Bryant in that window. It is a very difficult trade ask. And I think Chris Bryant knows that. And I think Scott Boers knows that. And that's why I, I, I think it's interesting. I, I did hear rumor that the Cubs were um, went to Boris and Contreras' agent saying that they'd like to try and talk extensions or you know if the conversation doesn't go well they might truly consider trading both those guys because the interest is high enough in them i'm not quite sold on that um like i said that's coming from me and a source i have i'm not going to put that news out there like it's you know oh believe it or else type of stuff but just something to consider it does sound like the cubs want to try and extend these guys they do see how hard it's going to be to try and trade these players and also get value back but i, I think they want to get it established now the direction they're trying to push towards so if they can extend these guys now, awesome. If not, they're going to truly try and consider these guys or try and consider these guys trade assets. So um, I don't know. 
I find it really hard to believe they'd move both guys. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Um, moving Bryant and Contreras, um, unless you're getting some massive pieces back um, and a ton of flexibility in terms of financial spending, like you, you no, it's not going to happen. One or none is what I'd say, not both. So, But that will do it here for today's episode of Lockdown Cubs. Remember to get this show over today. You need to subscribe to Lockdown Cubs on the Himalaya app or whatever podcasting app you use, whether that's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn app, Stitcher, anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find Lockdown Cubs. Make sure you leave a five-star review when you find us. Follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Cubs. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean R. Sears. Thanks for tuning into your daily Cubs podcast. You guys enjoy the rest of your day. I'll try and sneak a podcast in Wednesday before the holidays, but it'll probably be the only podcast I do this week. So uh, beyond that, so if I don't hear, if you guys don't hear from me, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Enjoy the week. If or the couple days off you get with your family, we'll be back Monday, hopefully with some more Cubs news.